May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be always accepted in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. As we uh, get started, I actually have a gift for you, right? This is a season for giving, and so the ushers are going to hand out a little piece of actually kind of a fishing weight. And you'll see, I'll get to this in just a minute. So they've got these to kind of hand out. Take one and, and just hold on to it during the sermon. Um, my name is John Davis, and I'm the executive director at Canterbury Retreat and Conference Center. And uh, it's my pleasure to serve there and have this wonderful ministry of Canterbury. And I'll be talking a little bit about this in the, in the sermon. But, um, and uh, it's a joy to be here. This is almost feeling like coming home, especially because Sarah and I shared in ministry together in a couple of places, but especially at Incarnation. And you'll hear more, a little bit about that in this as well. And it's all, like I said, it's a joy to be here on this Advent 4. You know, we're given invitations from time to time, aren't we? And so we have to RSVP in one way or another. Um, I was, saw something on the news this morning that that's becoming, people are not responding to RSVPs. And it's you know, kind of socially uh, difficult for folks to then plan for parties and things. And I started thinking about all the different sort of calls or different sort of invitations or opportunities that someone might have. And I, I thought about some actors and actresses, right, who have turned down roles in movies that eventually became those roles, not them necessarily, although some of them were legends too, but those roles became legendary in Hollywood. Think of Burt Lancaster. He turned down the lead in Ben-Hur. Um, it went to Charleston Heston, and guess what? He won an Academy Award for that portrayal. Kind of an oops moment, if you will. Cary Grant turned down James Bond. Kind of interesting to think of Cary Grant as James Bond, but Sean Connery took that and made he was the first Bond and made it his. He owned that role. Maybe oops again. I like this one. Orion Pictures acquired the film rights to Silence of the Lambs Silence of the Lamb, because um, Gene Hackman expressed an interest in directing it, as well as going to play the role of the serial killer, Anthony Hopkins. And Jodie Foster, and, um, and then uh, Michelle Pfeiffer was in the role of Agent Starling. Both of them ended up declining those roles, so Anthony Hopkins and Jodie Foster took on those roles, and both won Academy Awards. Maybe a double oops in that moment. And finally, Bet, Bet, Betty Davis, actually, um, said no to the role of Scarlett O'Hara um, uh, in Gone with the Wind. Vivian Lee took the role, and Davis thought Errol Flynn was going to be Rep Butler, for whom she refused to work. And so Clark Gable ended up in that role and Lee's, as Lee's co-star in what became one of the most beloved films of all time. Oh, what might have been. There's a power sometimes when we say yes or when we say no. And uh, life changes in those moments, and an adventure begins. You know, personally, I've been asked to play parts. I was asked to be the youth minister at Mount Perrin in Atlanta, and then also at St. Andrews in Destin, Florida, and it changed my life. A simple yes to those moments started a flow of blessing that I haven't been able to contain in my life. It ripples through everything that I've been, everywhere I go and everywhere I've been and all those kinds of things. It's still to this day. Right now it's rippling on Facebook for me because all these kids who were in my youth group in those days are on Facebook with me and I get to see what God's doing in their lives. And it's a, just a joy of that blessing that continues to pour forth. Bishop Howe issued a call to me in 1991 uh, to become the youth officer of the diocese. 
here I was. I was living in Destin, Florida, which is up on the panhandle on the coast. And it was, I was living in paradise. I was living in, on the beach. I, had, I was in a wonderful church and had a very successful ministry. It was at its height of accomplishment. It was cooking. All good things were happening. And here comes this call, this invitation. And so I packed my bags and I left it, left all of that to come to Orlando. I could go on to talk about yes to mission trips and youth events and conferences and retreats. And in saying yes, I've seen God redeem people with His love and kindness. Yes to seminary and to ordination and priesthood. Every call where I've answered yes, both big and small, God's covenant blessing has poured out on my life. A few years ago, our former canon of the ordinary, Ernie Bennett, said this little sentence to me. He says, you know, John, the diocese hasn't given up on a church in Oviedo. And my life changed. And I got to plant a church in that community that's going strong today, and I'm kind of excited to say that they'll be welcomed as a parish this January. My life changed. Then the proposition came to do Canterbury as well. And Canterbury was in a, I was on the board in those days, and it was in a broken place, and, and I said yes. And now we see that God has saved Canterbury, and we're discovering for all the wonderful reasons that He did. I also want to add a qualifier, is that when I've said no to God, and been disobedient, you know, it's led to my ruin in those moments. But that's another sermon altogether. Consequences of our disobedience. I like this. C.S. Lewis said, There are two kinds of people. Those who say to God, Thy will be done. And those to whom God says, All right then, have it your way. You know, I know your rector well. We've been friends for a long time. And and, uh, she's been a colleague, a scholar, a pastor, and most of all a friend. She said yes to a calling. I remember in those days when she was serving on staff at All Saints as a layperson doing Christian formation, and she had this call to, to ministry, to ordination, to, to priesthood. And uh, she said yes to that, but then all of a sudden it involved going off for a year to Neshota House, leaving family and friends, leaving a community of faith where she was an integral part and where it fed her and she did so much in serving that congregation. And I remember initially in that conversation, Sarah, you resisting that in that moment, not really wanting to go from Florida to Wisconsin. And you can imagine that. I mean, a lot of folks would not want to do that, especially in the winter months. But she went. She said yes. She surrendered. She said yes to a call, really from the Lord, to help a new mission in Oviedo, giving her time, her gifts, her energy, volunteering to serve making a difference in people's lives. Her yes changed my life. Changed my life in a one, as a new vicar in this congregation. And for that, Sarah, I say thank you. Just when a position was available, this is, I always kind of chuckle at this one, just because of the, the move to Canterbury, we were going to have a, I was going to be able to offer Sarah a full-time position with, in that kind of role. Just when that happened... This church in Maitland gave her a call. And she abandoned me in my most needed hour. But she said yes. She said yes to this call. 
She left the ministry that she loved to come here. And I can see already it's bearing great fruit for the kingdom. And I can't wait to see all that will be because of that yes. Saying yes to God is obedience. It's a way we're to live our lives. In doing so, we begin to set in order the chaos of our lives. By living according to His Word, building our lives upon the rock, it brings to us safety and surety withstanding the storms of this earthly existence. God wants obedience in small things too. It's not just those major things, but He wants everyday obedience to His Word. I love this quote. Agatha, a desert monk of the 4th century, put it this way. If an angry man raises the dead, God is still displeased with his anger. So even in small things, God wants us to obey. Saying yes is risky. You could talk to Moses or David or Isaiah or Peter or Paul or all, any of the saints throughout the ages. They all took risks. Probably asking questions like, what will happen? Where will it lead? Where will I go? What will I do? It's an adventure. And I think the one guarantee we have in this is that we are in God's will. We are in God's eternal love that we find in Christ. That is the one sure thing. Maybe to say it this way, you say yes to peace, but not to certainty in terms of what the world offers us. So we come to this morning the biggest yes in all of history. Frederick Buechner, who I love, he's a wonderful writer. I've read all of his books, probably a few of them several times over. He's that kind of a writer. And um, what's his, one of his gifts is he's able to look at a, a biblical narrative or, or a story of some sort and able to take that and add to it, sort of reflect on it somewhat subjectively, but he does so in such a way that adds to sort of maybe a, another texture, another layer of what's going on. And concerning our gospel lesson, he writes... Mary struck the angel Gabriel as hardly old enough to have a child at all, let alone this child. But he'd been entrusted with a message to give her, and he gave it. He told her what the child was to be named, who he was to be, and something about the mystery that was to come upon her. You mustn't be afraid, Mary. As he said it, he only hoped she wouldn't notice beneath the great golden wings he himself was trembling with fear to think the whole future of creation hung now on the answer of this young girl. It's an amazing yes. An amazing yes as Mary steps onto the stage of salvation history. This young girl does not waver. She does not wince. She has some questions, but she does not shrink from the call. And in doing so, she becomes favored one, most blessed among women. She is theotokos. It's a Greek word which means, as we sort of say, one who births God, or God-bearer probably is more accurately translated. She bears God. She is theotokos. And God chose Mary to bring forth the Messiah into this world so that He may save and redeem humanity from sin and death. All of history stops in this moment. And everything changes. Paul Larson writes about this moment, or actually about the life of Christ. He says, despite our efforts to keep Him out, God intrudes. The life of Jesus is bracketed by two impossibilities. 
a virgin's womb, and an empty tomb. Jesus entered our world through a door marked no entrance and left through a door marked no exit. Mary bore Jesus with surrender and obedience, a stunning surrender to Almighty God, an answer resonating throughout history. Here I am, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. The last uh, few months, about the last six months or so, we've developed a new retreat at Canterbury, and I invite you to join us, and we're doing four of these, uh, four of these coming up in 2015. One in the first weekend of February. It's just a Friday, Saturday retreat. And we're calling it Dangerous Prayer. And uh, part of it is for me that I, as about six, eight months ago, I was reflecting on my life and where I sort of what moved me from nominal faith to more where this was at the heart of who I am, that my core identity is that of a follower of Jesus. And when I thought about that, I thought about back to prayers that I had prayed, you know, when my, in those younger years. And I remember one in particular, I was at a conference in my 20s, and I remember sort of at at the ministry time we were having at that conference praying something to the effect of, Lord, ruin me for anything but your kingdom. Let me find no satisfaction in this world, only in you. It's a dangerous prayer. Because when you pray it, what it means is there's going to be change. If God answers it, you're going to be changed. You're going to be transformed. And I can talk about a lot of those in my life. We used to do this little, I actually still do it from time to time. We recorded it back in the day. There was this little song that we did. Father, my time has come. I've fallen in love with you. I'm ready to do your will, whatever you want me to do. I will go wherever you want me to. That's pretty risky stuff. It's a dangerous prayer. We see this throughout Scripture as well. You know, we see Moses And he goes up on the mountain and he prays to the Lord, show me thy glory. And the next thing you know is he is swept into the cleft of the rock and the glory of God passes in front of him and he comes out glowing. He is transformed. He is changed. He is made new. We could talk about a lot of others. We could talk about Isaiah who says, here I am, Lord, send me. We could talk about uh, Peter or Paul. I I love some of these transformations. Saul goes from being... Uh, Saul to Paul, and, and Simon goes to, from Simon to, to become Peter. I like Peter's lots of times. In John chapter 6, and this is maybe more a dangerous confession, but those will get you in trouble too. Um, Jesus uh, has preached this very hard word to all the folks that are following him. It was not the best marketing ploy you know, that he had, because he had things where there was this momentum, there was traction, there were things happening. And he comes out and preaches this very hard, difficult word for people to hear, And in doing so, a lot of folks left. And in this very, as as sort of the theologians say, Jesus touching his humanity looks to the disciples and said, asked, queried, are you going to leave me too? And Peter, in one of his best moments, says, where would we go? You have the words of life. You are the Holy One of God. Basically said, we're stuck. Dangerous prayer. Prayers that when you pray them, will bring about transformation in your life. They're dangerous, but they're worth it. And I think Mary, out of all of the prayers in Scripture, this is probably the most dangerous prayer of all. Be it unto me as you have said. I find it interesting, and and as you sort of think about it, the last words that we hear from Mary's lips in the Gospels, is at the wedding of Cana, where she says, the last thing we hear is, 
do whatever He tells you to do. It's almost an externalization of this internal prayer that she prayed for herself. She's now sort of giving this as a command, do whatever He tells you to do. It's a dangerous thing as well. If you want to know more about dangerous prayer, see me. We'd love to have you come and walk this journey with us. There are two things I think that I want to point to that apply to us in this moment. You see, beloved, in a similar way, you and I are called to be theotokos. That is, we are called to bear Jesus into this world. We birth Him in acts of kindness and mercy, in compassion and caring. Jesus takes up residence in our lives when we repent and believe trusting Him for our salvation and redemption, and when we say yes to Jesus, and in turn, by word and deed, we share Christ with others. We bear Him into the places of our work, of our schools, the marketplace, our families, wherever we go. We are to be theotokos. Now, I can tell you that Canterbury has this calling. Part of what the ministry of Canterbury is to be this sacred space where people come and discover the Lord. And they come to a knowledge of of Christ and they grow in their knowledge and love for Jesus by what happens on this campus at Canterbury. It's a wonderful thing. And sometimes people come and they're trained and equipped to serve the Lord in the church. I'm excited to see all that Canterbury is going to be in these years ahead. Because it is this place. And and we have that in the same way, Canterbury is Theotokos, that it bears Christ. In a sacramental way, it bears Christ to the world. Come and see. But whether it's Canterbury or Good Shepherd, whether it's a living nativity, a food bank, a scout troop, a healing service, in all these things, if we bring this understanding, this intentionality, we, those things bear Christ to people when we feed them, when we care for them, when we reach out to them. This is our calling. To let Jesus be birthed in us. That we bear Him to the world. And not only do we bear Christ to the world, but I know there are times when we need to receive Christ. We need Christ born to us through the church and through the sacraments and through, through people. We need to be receive the presence of Christ as it's mediated to us through those things. A couple of months ago, I, I do this twice a year. I go to a hermitage for a week, which is up in North Carolina. And uh, I was then there for a week just to pray and to be still and to listen, to study, to read, to uh, kind of, it's one of those things that I do. It's one of the things that when I teach at seminary, I always will tell folks, you can't give away what you don't have. So I go there to kind of get filled up so that I can continue in those things that God has given me to do. And I do that here in my life daily, but there's this intentional moment that I take twice a year to go into the hermitage, to, to be still. And interestingly enough, the way the world is, as much as the hermitage you would think I could get away from everything, um, I actually have cell service and those things happen and there's a Wi-Fi and all those things are happening. And so in the, about the third day when I'm in there, I get a text from a dear friend, really my lifelong mentor, Mike Atkins, who's out, who does planted a church out in Jackson Hole, Wyoming, and he's a great guy and he really... You know, I sort of point to Mike as you can either blame him or thank him for, for the ministry that I have. So much that he mentored me in so many wonderful ways. And Mike uh, sent me this text. I just want to read it to you. Hi, John. 
was praying for you this morning and felt the Lord tell me to write you and let you know how truly precious, rare, priceless, and irreplaceable you are to the body of Christ and to Him. You have left a lasting legacy of fruitful ministry everywhere. You have been and and you have been and only eternity will truly tell the story of the impact of your obedience and servant hearted leadership. You've been Jesus to so many, a place of safety and trust. I believe for wonderful and fruitful days ahead for you. So many of my most cherished moments include time spent with you. And I'm so very thankful to the Lord for your friendship, encouragement and love. You are precious to him and to me. Never doubt it or forget it. He knows right where you live and has wonderful plans for all your tomorrows. From him to you, through me, blessings, Mike. Did you hear it? Mike bore Christ to me in that moment. And I receive it. Thank you, brother. Because in it I encountered the Lord. That wonderful affirmation in my, of who I am and what God has done in me. And by no means am I perfect. By no means am I, I make a lot of mistakes. And ask Beth about those, my wife. But in that regard, he bore Christ to me. He was Theotokos in that moment. Sometimes we need to receive it. But I also know that sometimes we need to give it. And I love that last line because I think it really sums up what I'm trying to say that is our calling. He wrote, from him to you through me. Isn't that what it is? That God does something in us. He gives us a word. He gives us a, an inclination of something that we should do. We, we get prompted by the Holy Spirit. From him to you through me. That is Theotokos. You know, I love this time of year. We're given an amazing opportunity, I think, because people seem a little more open. You notice that? A little more responsive to kindness, to the giving and receiving of gifts. You know, you might have a few more packages to get and a few more gifts to buy. And that gift may be a wrapped package. But let your gift to those you love, to the world around you, to the strangers you meet, let it be Jesus. Give Christ this year to folks for Christmas. Bear Him to those in need of good news. You were handed this little fishing weight. Find mine here. So you can hold it if you want to take it or if you're still holding it in your hand. I'm going to ask you to do something. And this is, I'll, I'll blame this on the youth, youth minister and me. This is, might be kind of corny, but I think I hope you'll get it. Because I, it's one of those things that I've been doing for the last couple of weeks. So I want you to, what I would ask you to do over the next few days, and especially maybe through the 12 days of Christmas, carry this in your pocket. And, you know, you might be at the grocery store, you might be, you know, somewhere, and when you reach in your pocket to pull out your keys or to get whatever else is in there, when you feel this, here it comes. I want you to feel led. Get it? I want you to feel led of the Lord. And what I mean by that, because as I've done this the last couple weeks, when I reach in, and I don't always feel it, because sometimes I carry it in that little pocket on the, in the blue jeans, and so I don't always re- feel it, but sometimes when I reach down and I feel it, and I go, I almost look around and go, Who, what should I do? Who's around here, Lord, that you would prompt me with this? 
We have a gift to give, people. We are to bear Christ to this world. Let it remind you of of what you have to give, what you have to share. Become Theotokos to friends and family, fellow church members. Mediate Christ by word and deed to cashiers and waiters and waitresses, to postal workers and whatever that, whoever else is on that list of people that you run into. This is our calling. This is what Christmas is about. This is the anticipation that we have is that Christ comes and He Christmases in us. In our hearts. Our hearts, our lives, our souls become the manger where Christ is laid. And we, in turn, mediate Him to the world. That is our calling as followers. You know, we'll sing in celebration this Christmas, probably, I would assume, somewhere. But but this one verse speaks to us of this calling to be Theotokos. O holy child of Bethlehem, Descend to us, we pray. Cast out our sin and enter in. Be born in us today. We hear the Christmas angels the great glad tidings tell. Oh, come to us, abide in us. Our Lord, Emmanuel. Amen.